everybody. Welcome back to this episode of Liftoff Journeys. I'm your host, Jeannie Walden, and today I've got a very special guest. I've got Kristen McDermott, who is an incredible author, and she's going to tell you more about her background and what she's up to right now. Hi, Kristen. Well, thanks for having me, Jeannie. Thanks so much for being on the show. Tell the audience a little bit about your amazing background, because in addition to being an author, you're so much more, but I didn't want to spoil it. So you start. Well, I'm a marriage and family therapist by training. And then my career took this big turn as life sometimes does. And I ended up doing research in resilience and that was actually in the oncology world. So I worked in a hospital for about a decade and did research on why some people could go through that just horribly disruptive experience of cancer and come out the other side, obviously not wishing they had had that experience, but feeling somehow better for it. And, you know, some people just did that. And so I had a partner at the time and we thought, what, what is it that they know and can we learn from them and then teach it to other people? And so we ended up just developing this resilience training curriculum from that experience. I love it. I love it. And, you know, I know you know a little bit of my story that my dad passed away from cancer not too long ago. And so I know that journey firsthand. I think, you know, one of the most powerful emotions that you can go through is losing somebody that you love, whether you have forewarning or not, and just anybody going through the different stages of cancer and the realizations that they need to come to and their family needs to come to. It's a lot, not just on the person that has cancer, but on their family members as well. And I've just been so impressed with the resilience training that you've created because I've read your book and I have the book here, which I'm gonna talk about in a second, but I feel like the resilience training that you've pulled together is so much more than resilience training just for managing cancer and being a part of, of the cancer journey, but it's resilience training for almost anything in your life. Yeah. So, you know, we were in the cancer world, but what was interesting is people weren't signing up for long-term therapy with us. You know, we would be in the room with them while they were hooked up to the infusion machines for a few hours at a time. And what we found was that people really wanted skills and tools that they could didn't have to have a lot of training on that they could use immediately to you know manage all the decisions they had to make and talk to people you know communicate better and because there's a lot of opportunity for real connection with the people you love during that experience but people didn't necessarily know how to do that and so we actually it was never about cancer it was always just about skills that we could teach to anyone in short bits of time and so Pretty quickly after we we ended up putting this whole training curriculum online, and then we started working with different populations. So we worked with Navy SEALs and their families, we worked with police officers, first responders. We were going for populations who were under stress, but also who weren't in the you know habit of going and seeking something like self help training like that. You know, we were just looking for people who would take a short skill that they could learn and then go try it with their wife and kids, you know, at home. And so it's, it's funny how it took 20 years to distill it down to something really small and bite-sized, but you know, people, people won't use it if it's too big. And so we had all this great research that showed that we really improved people's lives, 
but we had to get it in a format that people would use it or it was frankly just going to sit there on the shelf forever. That bite side format that you talked about, I love because it's digestible and it's powerful and it's something that's easy to remember and take with you. So you've got a name for your bite size content format, right? So we have resilience reminders and we call them conversations that empower. And so one of the programs that we've been doing for the last three years is actually with police mentors in Watts in inner city Los Angeles. So as you can imagine, these kids um, have not grown up with any positive thoughts about the Los Angeles Police Department. And so the idea was to have mentors who were doing a couple of things. Obviously, they were you know, trying to help these kids see the police as actually a useful, helpful resource to them, but also just to start helping people have conversations with people that they don't trust and you know, it's, it's awkward having conversations. A lot of times people with their own kids, you know, by the time kids reach teenage years, parents don't know how to talk to them. So we create these really short emails and there's no training involved. There's no, you don't have to know anything about resilience. You don't have to know anything about emotional intelligence. You don't have to be comfortable talking about any of those things. These mentors just read the emails and it's like a 30 second thing that they read about the skill of the week. And then there are five questions that they ask. And they're typically doing these in small groups, like um, sports programs where they're helping these kids. And so the idea is they ask a question and they listen because it's not about teaching and it's not about these adults, you know, what kids spend their whole days having adults tell them what to do. It's about these adults listening to these kids who actually no, they have a lot of resilience. They just haven't had anyone really tell them how important that is or really, you know, structure a conversation around it. And so we ended up um, studying this program for the last few years with um, a pretty robust evaluation survey. And it's amazing to me because these are kids who have the worst stressors probably anywhere. I mean, these are kids who are having, you know, family members shot. I mean, there's, there's so much, you know, horrible stuff going on there. They have zero parent um, involvement in this. Like we're not, the parents haven't chosen to get the emails, even though they could. And even so with these mentors who they originally didn't trust, it's improving resilience. So it's super cool because it's just this little teeny bite-sized thing that you can do in these small conversations you can have in five minutes, but you can actually improve resilience. And, and more importantly, I think, improve connection because that's what's really that's really i think um causing so much mental health trouble with our youth is just the disconnection and loneliness it's so true and that's what all the social media studies are showing as well the more involved you are on social media the lonelier you are kids uh -huh. these days are just growing up so challenged so it's really incredible that you've turned all of this research into this bite-sized content and you've given everybody a way to a way to share and engage around that. Now, I know you wrote a book. I have it right here. Yeah. It's called It Takes Two Minutes. I love this book. This book, as you know, I am obsessed with, and I tell you that all the time. I actually have started reading one page out of this book to my kids 
every single day. And my kids are grown. They don't live with me. So it's something if, if they're not around to hear it, then I actually take a picture of the page and I, I message it to them because what you've done is you've created these reminders about how we should act and what will help us get through the day in such a really clear and unique way that it really does change your perspective. And one of my favorites from the book is, is the story that you talk about, um, you know, instead of saying, I'm not good at something, think about what you are good at and it will help you find a way to become better. And if you got a second, if you don't mind, I'm going to share my version of that story. You can tell me if I've got it right. All right. So, because I was blown away by this. You know, it said, if, if a child says, oh, I'm not that good at school, then they're going to go in and they're going to really be quiet because they don't feel like they're good at school, which is going to cause the teacher to be concerned and say, hey, why isn't this child engaging in my class? There must be something wrong with them, which is going to cause an you know, unknown bias with a teacher most likely to think, oh, this child doesn't care about my class. So the teacher will act differently towards the child. The child then will be intimidated and not want to ask questions to the teacher. And the cycle will continue to where the child will become bad at school. Whereas in the story, you talk about if you think, hey, sometimes it takes me a little longer, but I eventually get there instead. Then you go into the room knowing that and you go up to the teacher and you have that conversation up front. Hey, you know, I have ADHD or I'm a little slow or sometimes it takes me a little longer. Do you mind if I ask for some notes? Which causes the unconscious bias of the teacher to be really positive and want to help you because you took the initiative to do that, which changes the whole trajectory. And that story just resonated with me because I think, you know, for my kids, I actually saw that happen with both of them in middle school, in high school, and even in college. And now that they're grown up, I see that they're able to drive positive results by just walking into work, you know, and, and coming in with that tone of, I'm not afraid to say that I need a little help. I'm not afraid to ask for it and, and position themselves much better for success. And that's really nothing earth shattering that nobody knew, but it's something that I feel like if you're not reminded of, you sometimes forget and you can fall into a negative place and staying out of that negative place you know, we'll put you in a much better place. It was, is that, is that a fair interpretation yeah. of one of the things in your book? It is. A, it's a great interpretation. And, you know, the, the thing about most of these things that you'll, most of the skills, wherever you find them in the book or in the, you know, one of the programs, they're, they're things you've probably heard before. It's not like I went out there and invented them all. And this particular one actually has so much research behind it. There's a woman named Carol Dweck, and she did all this research on the growth mindset. And it's it's like it, reading her book, you know, you would love it because it goes deep into it. But not everyone can read a book or even wants to read a book. So I'm trying to just remind you of something that it's you're going to feel it like, oh, that totally makes sense. Let's try that. And then there's a way to try it you know, right then, you know, you say it to your kid, you have a 30 second conversation about it. And, but behind everything, there is, there's a lot of research in almost all of these things, not, not only just done by me, but, you know, by others. And, you know, this one's an interesting one because Carol's research, she took um, people all the way from, I think, middle schoolers, and then all the way up through law school. And she said the you know, the ones who had been told they were smart, when they came to something that was difficult for them, 
they thought there was something wrong because things were supposed to come easy to them versus kids who had internalized this idea that, well, eventually if I work hard enough, I figure it out. It serves them so much better because American kids compared to some other cultures, we tend to give up our kids. We're like, oh, that's too hard. I must not be able to do that. I'm not going to try. Whereas some of these other kids that she studied, I mean, 30 minutes, an hour later, two hours later on, a, on an unsolvable problem, we're still trying to figure it out. So you can see how important that particular concept is. Yeah, that's, that is fascinating. I mean, you and I could talk for hours and hours on this because my master's is in teaching. I don't know if you knew that, but my, my thesis was on tracking kids and putting them in different groups when they're younger in kindergarten and first grade and watching how they progress based on the groups they've put in when they're younger mm -hmm. and watching, watching that follow through. So this is all, this is all really fascinating to me. But what's really interesting about that is a few months ago, maybe a few weeks ago, we had a guest, Sergio, who was on our podcast and his family moved, his family um, ran away during some crazy times from Russia to the United States. So he was an immigrant first generation and when he got here to the united states his family his family pretty much lived in poverty but the way that he became so successful and he says this in the podcast interview is he knew that his family had been very successful in russia so he knew that it was going to take him longer but he was eventually going to be able to make it and that is literally just what you just said and i just think that's so powerful and it explains so much of uh, today's generation as well, which I'm not going to comment on right now, but but I think there's a lot of a lot of opportunity for any of the, those helicopter parents, of which I am one, to go back and fix things by letting your kids know they're not the smartest, best, uh, everything is is perfect. That maybe they do need to work for it because I think that sets you up for success. So that that's so great. So it's so funny today, that you that smart thing though, just so you know, like it drives my kids crazy. Cause as soon as I heard her research, I went home and I was like, you guys aren't smart. Don't pretend like I never said that. Like we're, I, I've been parenting you wrongly. <laughs> I'm like, work hard. It's just funny. They're like, we get it mom. You know? <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. So my husband and I talk about this all the time with our kids. So between us, there's five and we think about, you know, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? Can we see where we made mistakes and, parented differently. And uh, I think, you know, your book was definitely a mind shift. And now this conversation, my kids are all going to be like, oh no, please don't, please don't talk to Kristen again. <laughs> but, but it's all, it's all for really, a really great purpose. Now, where you are today is you've taken all of your research, you've taken all of your passion from being a therapist, and you've turned it into an incredibly powerful company called the McDermott Method. So tell us a little bit about what the McDermott Method is focused on doing? Well, I just have been trying to get this stuff out to populations who could use it. And my personal passion is teens. As a therapist in my private practice, I work with high school, college age kids because I just feel like they're so hungry for skills that help them navigate the world, especially as they're going to launch and go try to create the lives they want for themselves. But in working with teens, I found that parenting really parenting teens and tweens. It's really kind of where it gets difficult to be a parent. And there are just skills that parents should know. And so my passion right now, I have um, several parenting courses and they're all just about starting 
short conversations. You know, I feel like parents sometimes have this idea that you have to have the talk, you know, you have to have the talk about drugs and the talk about sex. And I, and it's like, ugh, no one wants to do that. It's so scary. So I'm trying to help people have just short, easy, win-win conversations that are yes about the content. So yes, you're going to learn some skills, but also equally as important is just about listening. And for parents to not always feel like they're in the position of having to, you know, impart their wisdom or decide what's the right thing or, you know, tell their kids what to do or get them on the right track, but to just listen and drop the agenda and like be an ally and really model, you know, how you communicate well with people. So that's my, that's my passion right now. It's hard to just listen as a parent. It's hard to not just immediately solve the problem for your kids, regardless (laughs) of whether it's helping them with their homework or solving, you know, problems as they transition to adulthood. How do you advise people to learn to just listen? You know what, what comes up more than maybe any other thing to me is when someone will ask me, uh, like they're stuck, like they don't know what to do either about a consequence for a behavior or a decision for a kid, or they just, they're just stuck. And I find that the best thing they can do, even if it's like a consequence that the kid has done something wrong, and this is you, this is starting from like, you know, tweens and teens. So this may not be true around age seven, although it might still be true. But I think the best thing to do is ask the child. And I'm, that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to do what they say, but when you put it back on them, I can't tell you how many times, especially with my middle son, who is now 21, I've just been stumped because I'm like, you know what I believe. I feel like I've given you all the information you need, and yet you're still doing something that seems like it's not the best thing for you. What am, I don't know what to do with you. Like, what, what would you do if you were me? Like, what do you think? Like, help me understand what's going on here because you're not, you don't, you're not getting it. And I, and like kids, when you put it back on them and like legitimately wanting to know, they have really good ideas. Like they have a lot of wisdom in there and they'll end up, you know, they don't really want to take responsibility if they can just be mad at the parent. Right. Yeah. But when they have to take responsibility, it's like, ugh. Ugh, you're right. You know, you know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. Having a 21 year old and a 20 year old. I know exactly what you mean. And <laughs> we live through that all the time. And like so, the terrifying question, one other terrifying question that I think is really a great question to ask, not ever in the heat of the moment, right? Just when there's a, when things are feeling good, it's just like a getting some parenting feedback. Hey, like, how am I doing? What do you need? I'm not saying I'm going to do it, but like, honestly, like in what ways are you finding my parenting working out for you? And in what ways, you know, do you think I could do better? And usually if the, if the tone is right and you have a decent enough relationship, you'll get some good information. I actually do that with my one daughter quite frequently and she tells it like it is. And it's quite intuitive and it's very interesting. And I end up listening to, almost all of it and really taking it to heart and then trying to change the things where, you know, she'll say, well, sometimes you say this and I know that you would mean this, but it comes across this way. And it Mm -hmm. is really great for, I think, establishing the relationship. And I know you and I have talked about 
some of this intuition certainly is is how kids have grown up and just how they've learned to manage through social challenges in school or at home. Some of it, though, I think, you know, we're giving credit to TikTok these days for yeah. because it seems like TikTok is offering some good advice, some bad advice, but also some some good advice for kids when they seek it out. My one daughter will often go to TikTok when she's got a tough problem to solve and look at what others would recommend before she comes to me with a suggestion. What do you think about social media having an impact on helping to teach decision-making skills these days? I mean, I can't tell you how many times my college age, mostly female, but clients bring in really deep, interesting information about psychological things. And, you know, and they'll ask me, they'll like, you know, I was reading about trauma bonds or I was reading about narcissism. There's a lot of stuff about narcissism out there. Like apparently everyone's a narcissist, but but there's really good stuff out there, actually. And I mean, especially if you bring it in for a conversation, you're not like taking it all. I mean, who knows? You know, this, I'm sure there's a lot of bad stuff, too. But I have been pleasantly surprised that there are kind of some rabbit holes people can go down and really gain some awareness about what's going on in their lives. And with all this focus on mindfulness, on mental wellness, on mental health, on work-life balance on just everything around social anxiety and, and stressors right now. I think the work that you're doing is very refreshing. It's reaching audiences and demographics that typically haven't been focused on in the past as far as just bringing these conversations to light and making them available in easy and digestible manner. So I know at the McDermott Method, you and your team are making content and education available directly to parents and individuals who are interested in it, but also to businesses and organizations. You've mentioned the sports organizations where if companies want to sponsor this content and sponsor it being used for groups or teams, they can have access to it as well, right? Yeah, and actually, frankly, schools. So, you know, some of the schools do certain programs, but typically a school program requires a curriculum and you know training people and then finding time in the day for it and then even then it's only between the child and whoever that one teacher is but we are going in and allowing everyone in the entire school so from staff to teachers to coaches to obviously to kids and parents to have the same skill of the week so if you think about it if you have everyone in the school has it's super simple but like that thing that you said you know it's like like you know get the mindset of working hard instead of, you know, like, like thinking you're not good at something. If everyone is doing that and you're, and there's little conversations in different people's words, right? Cause your coach will say it a little differently than your, you know, parent or whatever, but it's all these little mini conversations. Think about how that changes the culture of a school in a positive way. So that's what we're really yeah. excited about too. It's really exciting because, you know, they say it takes a village to raise a child. Everybody knows that. It takes a network of people to help you be successful in life. Or that's been proven out, too. Imagine what an, a group of people all focused around the same skill of the week could do to improve mental wellness and social well-being. I, I think there's really good opportunity out there. Kristen, it's been so great to have you on the show as a guest. And the fact that everything you said, I'm relating back to prior podcast uh, conversations that I had, is 
really interesting to me. So I'm going to go think about that and see how in the future we can integrate It Takes Two Minutes into future podcasts. But this has been fantastic. Well, thank you, thank so, you much. so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks. And tell us where we can go to get more information about working with you or working with your company. Just McDermottMethod.com. And McDermott is, you maybe you'll put it in the notes or something, but M-A-C-D-E-R-M-O-T-T. We will definitely have it underneath your name. And I really appreciate it, Kristen. Have a great day. Thanks.